0: fertility podcast is here to help you understand more about your fertility and for the last eight years has published a lot of conversations with experts and people sharing their stories it's now going back to its roots giving you people's lived experiences once again to give you comfort in knowing there's a community of people who get it so you find commonality be inspired and know you're not alone Started by me, Natalie Silverman, a former patient, once I was pregnant after fertility treatment, I later joined forces with Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant, who is now your host. And here she is.
1: Hi, hope all good with you. Thank you for tuning in and listening again to the next episode of the Fertility Podcast. It's great to have you. So I can't believe at the time of me recording this today, there's now October. Where has the year gone? I kind of I quite like, quite like October. You can start getting your woolly jumpers on and start liking, lighting candles and cozing up, which is lovely. Um, but it's been a busy old week with the terms of fertility um, in the UK. I don't know whether you caught it, but there was a great documentary on BBC iPlayer called My Sperm Donor and Me, which was presented by Tink Llewellyn, who's a presenter, and she herself is donor-conceived. And she was looking into the whole field of donor conception and what it's like. And it's because, as of the 1st of October, um, people who are donor-conceived in the UK who turn... 18 after the 1st of october are now able to find out the identity of their donor and tink shared her story as well as the stories of other donor conceived people in the documentary it was really interesting but it was really good to see some friends of the podcast featured so sean greenaway who's knacker knackers was on as was mel johnson the stalk and i and the lovely Laura Rose from LGBT Mummies. So that was lovely to see um, people that we know and we love within the field of fertility. So go and check out BBC iPlayer. It's still there and you might be able to to watch it. It was uh, definitely worth catching up with. But October is a busy month when it comes to fertility and women's health. Um, Not only is it Menopause Awareness Month, but it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month and it's this week from the 9th to the 15th of October is Baby Loss Awareness Week and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about in this episode so a bit of a trigger warning if you're not in the right place right now then please put this away for another day but Baby Loss Awareness Week is a week that accumulates on the 7th or 7pm on Sunday the 15th of October when people around the world light a candle or candles in memory of the baby or babies that they've lost but there's also so much information that is happening during the week so do go and check out I'll put links in the bottom of the show notes so do go and check out what's going on um, and look for support if you need it But in this episode, we're going to be talking to a model, actress and wellness influencer in the US. Her name's Tess Ray, and Tess is joining us to talk about her IVF journey and also her pregnancy losses. So... Again like I said trigger warning if you don't feel strong enough to listen right now then then just come back to this another time. We're always here whenever you feel like you want to listen in tune in get some support and find that commonality to feel less alone. But anyway let's bring in Tess. Hi Tess welcome to the Fertility Podcast. Hi Kate thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's amazing to have you here, and I'm so delighted that you're taking the time out of your busy schedule. And obviously, you're in the US, so it's nine o'clock in the morning for you. It's the end of my day here. Um, So thank you for getting, getting through the time zones and being able to join me today.
2: Of course, yes. I'm happy that we could make it work out.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. So Tess, you're here to tell us all a little bit about your fertility story, which has been quite significant. So I'd love to hear about it.
2: Yeah. So it's actually been, I think about a five or six year journey now, which is a crazy long time. And we started when I was 25, which is the crazy thing. I was so young. And my husband has two daughters from his previous marriage. And so we're both sober and very active in like the health and lifestyle um, space, very physically active, like take mental health seriously. So I thought this was going to be like a no-brainer type of situation, you know, like we're young, he has kids, like this is easy, Um, this is going to be so simple, and then of course those are the famous last words that that's exactly not what happened whatsoever. And so after about a year, I was like, I think something's like, I want to get my levels tested or something, because I feel like something's not right. Like at the time I was 26, I was like, this should have happened I think like you have kids, I'm like 26 years old, you know, what's going on? There's something that seemed to be off. And so that's when we started doing all of the testing um, that goes with, I just like googled like fertility center near me. So I just thought it was going to be like a simple, like, you know, blood test or lab work that was going to give me all of my answers. And little did I know, like that actual intro process takes months to do all of the, you know, the correct testing so they can get an accurate picture of what was happening. So we actually did that right before COVID, like 2019 to 2020. And I remember we got our results and then it was like the world shut down, right? And so it turned out that I was actually, my AMH levels were much lower than what they should have been. I was like 10 years biologically older. So I was like 35 instead of biologically 25, which was crazy because had I you know, just waited another decade to do this, I would have been like biologically 45 or something like that. Um, And so we found out like both of our levels weren't what we thought they would be. And that IVF would be like our only chance to conceive. My husband also played hockey for, you know, 17 years. So he's had like 20 physical surgeries. Like I always call him like Iron Man because he has steel in his wrists. You know, he's, his body has been through a lot. And so he's like, it's not the same when he had kids when he was 25. And so it's very, it's a blessing that I started so early because I didn't think that it would take as long as it did that I would be on this journey for five years. I thought it was just gonna be a quick little thing. Of course, COVID also put, you know, if you tell God you have a plan, he goes, watch this. That put a little wrench in it because it was about a year, at least in the States where you couldn't do anything. Like you weren't going to the doctor's offices. You could basically just take like your vitamins at home and, you know, do that kind of protocol that the doctors suggested, but you weren't able to do like active retrievals, um, at least not in the state that we lived in.
1: That must be really frustrating because you mentioned a number of things there you talked about the fact that you know you find out suddenly that you've got a low amh and that must have felt devastating to, yeah. to hear, that and and quite scary thinking right is time running out what does this mean for me and then covid hits and, yeah. and that again puts everything back so that must did you feel that your kind of the biological clock was ticking a bit by this point it was crazy
2: because I was 25, 26, so I didn't think that I had a biological clock. And then when I understood like what AMH, AMH was, it really doesn't matter what your biological age is, it's like what your body is, you know, what it's currently at. And so I thought that was so interesting because IVF has taught me so much about myself that I didn't know, like I didn't know any of these things. I was just going through my life and I had no clue, right? I learned so much about myself and my body And like the decisions that I make on a daily basis that affect like my fertility and things like that. And so I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. And so then we kind of, you know, there was a lot to do during COVID but we just took the time to, you know, go on the protocol that the doctor recommended in terms of like the medications or the vitamins and the supplements. And a lot of those take another like three to four months to see results, you know, and then you test again. And so we kind of over, you know, the course of the weird year, spent that time doing those things because I felt like I had to be doing something I just couldn't do nothing and so I was starting to familiarize myself with the whole world of IVF because it's honestly like learning a new language it's you know it's like the acronyms the the process what's happening it's like learning a whole new language and if you're if you've done it and you've been in it you understand it and if you don't it's like trying to explain something to you know a foreign language to someone who doesn't understand because they don't relate whatsoever
1: but it's that kind of club, isn't it, that you never thought you'd be a member of and suddenly there you are bang smack in the middle of it and having to learn all of this stuff. Exactly. Because of COVID and because you couldn't do anything else, I guess the only thing you could do was then, you know, take control of the situation yourself and, and, and take the vitamins, do all the lifestyle things that your doctor had recommended. But obviously then you knew at some point you were facing the possibility, the very real possibility of IVF and how did that feel knowing that you had to surrender that control to your doctors and it wasn't going to happen naturally?
2: I knew so many of my friends that had done IVF as well that I didn't feel overwhelmed by it especially like young women too it's not just women who are like you know over 40 or I had new women like in their 20s and their 30s doing IVF for you know, a number of different reasons, but it was becoming more talked about. So I felt like it was more, it wasn't as scary or like, you know, unknown, because I had so many friends that had done it as well. And so I felt like I could easily reach out to them and talk to them about it. So I didn't feel so isolated in that decision. But we ended up having to do three retrievals over three years. And the first one for me was the hardest, just because you didn't know what to expect. And then every one that you do after that becomes a little bit easier. You know, the first one, I couldn't even do a shot myself. My husband had to do all of them. I couldn't even look. I was like passing out. I was so scared. And by the third one, I'm like doing everything myself. I have everything ready to go. No problem. Easy. And so you definitely learn a lot, I think, throughout the process, which has helped me going forward because I you don't know what to expect until you're in it, even if you do talk to other people. But it has gotten easier with time.
1: And how you talk there about the kind of the physical aspects and learning all of that. But as you go through rounds of treatment, it's the more of the emotional impact that takes its toll cycle on cycle on cycle, isn't it? How did, how did that feel for you? And how did you cope with the emotional impact?
2: The first one was obviously the most difficult because I didn't understand what was happening to my body. And then I spoke to one of my friends who has been through IVF a lot. And she goes like, you have to think of it as it's such a blessing to be able to do this because it gives you like that chance that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise, which is true without IVF, I wouldn't have had the opportunities to have a family. Um, You know, it would be like that 0.01% chance miracle that happens that you'd be waiting on. And so I'm like so grateful for science because it allows you to have that. And so that really helped me kind of put it into perspective. It's like two weeks or three weeks of, you know, not the best feeling, but for a lifetime of gain. So it's just like, you got to bite the bullet and do it.
1: I really like that positive spin on it, because I think sometimes when you're in IVF, it's really difficult to perhaps think in that way because you're so overwhelmed and bogged down by it all. But you're right, mm-hmm. it's actually thank goodness for science. Thank goodness for the first, you know, test tube baby as we used to call it 40 odd years ago. Thank right. God for that. Look where we are now. So yeah, I really like that spin on it. And then with your treatment, you did conceive?
2: Yes, we did. So after the we did two retrievals. And then after the summer, we decided that we were going to transfer. And luckily, my first transfer worked. And we were so excited. And in the States, you have a ultrasound at six weeks, an ultrasound at seven weeks, and then an ultrasound at 10 weeks. And so we went in at six weeks, everything was amazing. We went to that seven weeks, saw the heartbeat, everything was going amazing. And then at 10 weeks, we went in, which is where you graduate from your fertility clinic. And we went in and their doctor was like, this is not good news. So there was no heartbeat. And so like, it was like the movies, like the world goes black. You just like, I feel like I passed out, like I, everything tunnel visioned. And then like, it just stopped. I honestly blacked out. Don't remember
1: what happens next. Time stands still in moments like that, doesn't it? It really does.
2: Because I did not think, I knew people had had like miscarriages before fertility treatments, but I didn't think that they had them with a PGT tested embryo, which was a healthy embryo. in IVF I didn't even think that was a possibility and so I was so caught off guard and that was right before I found out like a few days before American Thanksgiving which is like end of November Mm -hmm. so it was just like the darkest holiday season I was in such a rough place Um, and that was really challenging because I didn't even think that could happen like I didn't even think that was an option of possibilities and so it really just shook my world
1: Yeah, I've had a number of patients that have talked to me pretty much the same words as you that, you know, you've got a embryo that's been tested, it's a normal embryo, you're having IVF, what could possibly go wrong? It's you feel like it's almost a sure thing. And then to have that devastation of actually realizing that that's not the case at all. That must have been really difficult to cope with.
2: So difficult, because you don't expect it. And when I spoke with my doctor, he goes like, oh, it was just, you know, bad luck. These things happen. And I refuse to believe that. I was, I think, 29 at the time. I'm 30 now, so I was 29. I was like, there's no way this is just like, oh, you got the short end of the stick. I'm like, something is up. So I ended up at that point getting six or seven different second opinions. And I talked to everyone that I knew that was kind of like a leader in the IVF space from like upstate New York to Los Angeles, to San Diego, to San Francisco. I talked to everyone and all these different doctors. And one of the doctors said to me, well, the good news is that there was a heartbeat, which means that the embryo, like, you know, kind of did its job. But what happened at 10 weeks is interesting because it seems to be like that is a blood clotting issue. She goes, Have you ever had any, like, blood clotting testing done? And I go, Never. I did. I mean, I had COVID, you know, like much of the world. That's the farthest um, relationship I've ever gotten to having, you know, any type of blood clotting sentence ever brought up in my life. And so it was so interesting because she goes, there's this new test that's come out. It's called pregmune. Um, Maybe you want to look into something like that. And it kind of gives you a giant fertility workup. So it's the two words like pregnancy and then like immunity combined. And it's how your body responds to pregnancy. I'm also not affiliated with them. This is just my personal experience. I'd like to know it has over 200 tests that you get tested for. We did three different days of labs. Like some of them are fasted. Some of them are unfasted and my husband did them as well and so after six to eight weeks you get this beautiful like 30 page report back and it has tested you for everything under the sun in plain english this is why i love it because sometimes you get those reports and you're like i don't know what this means um it says this is what we tested you for this is what your results were this is what we think was important based on those results and this is what we suggest you do um, based on our findings. And so it breaks it down. And like there's beautiful graphs. you can understand it. I didn't I'm like not a med student or anything. So it was easy for me to understand what was happening. And I actually found out that I had three um, active blood clotting disorders. They're only active during pregnancy, like they don't affect me otherwise. And I would have never known that. Like I would have kept just doing retrievals and transfers. And my doctor told me, like, oh, I only want to do repeated pregnancy loss testing on you after three miscarriages. And I'm like, I have to go through this three times to do these tests. After you know, you spend the first three months of any fertility journey just doing tests. I go, this seemed so interesting to me because the cost of the test wasn't astronomical compared to any other expense in IVF. It wasn't, you know, it was like for X amount of money. I think it was like 900 US dollars. Like this gave me all the answers that I was looking for. And I would've had to go through so much more grief twice to be taken seriously to get that type of testing done. And so I'm really happy with my decision to advocate for myself because I feel like if you have that feeling and that intuition and you're like, something's up, something's probably up
1: i completely agree with you and and you know that's a common theme that we talk about on the podcast is the is the ability to advocate for yourself and i'm I, I desperately want women to do that because i think it's difficult sometimes when you're sat in front of a doctor um to be able to say what you want but if you do the research and get knowledgeable and empowered it can make a significant difference so i was so interested to hear from you tess about the fact that you fought for that genetic testing and that, that actually you felt that it was the right step for you now pregmune sadly isn't available in the uk but you know all these things do eventually come from the us so you Mm -hmm. you you never know we might have it here i've done a little bit of research into it and i'm going to talk about it after we say goodbye to you as well because it certainly does seem interesting and i i really like the fact that you said it was a really understandable report because i think often reports aren't medical reports aren't understandable so it's great that you felt that it was really giving you that information in in a a easily digestible patient focused way exactly
2: I could 100%
1: understand everything
2: through it including their instructions on what they suggest to do next time so I actually took the test to my doctor and I showed him the results and I said this is everything it's like 38 pages here you go this is what they recommend that we do for our next transfer um based on the results of my labs. And I would like to implement these results um, or their suggestions for our next protocol. And thankfully it worked and I am currently 22 weeks pregnant. So we are so over the moon and so excited. Um, I'm taking the correct protocols because of my blood clotting disorders, but I just feel so grateful to science and to these tests that kind of gave me the answers that I was looking for. Um, because when you're in that you know deep dark place of grief you don't think there is a way forward you're just kind of stuck and it's yeah. such an isolating and miserable time and then when you slowly start putting the pieces back together you're able to move forward and so I am so grateful that we're in that space now.
1: Yeah absolutely and that sounds wonderful congratulations that's such good news. Thank you. That you were able to take that report to your doctor and to to get your doctor's support in in helping with your next protocol and that was successful so that's great to hear so thank you so much Tess for sharing all of that and I really hope that it's inspirational for people listening that they can hear that advocating for yourself finding out as much as you possibly can and taking that to your doctors can really be beneficial before I let you go what one piece of advice would you give to somebody in your shoes maybe they're feeling as you just mentioned stuck they've tried a lot of different things and they don't know where else to turn what would be your one piece of advice or looking back what would you have done differently
2: I think my one piece of advice I would give to women who are going through that is that no one will advocate for you as much as you will not your spouse not a doctor it has to be you but I also noticed that you know people that want to be mothers will really do anything and go to any end of the earth to get that figured out. And I think it's so beautiful when that does happen because it's such a strong knit community that everyone is so happy for each other when it does work out. And there's like such a great sense of um, joy for other people because they've been through the trenches with you and they know what it's like. So I do think that is really quite beautiful.
1: I agree. And I think, you know, you're here you've talked today about your IVF journey you've talked about pregnancy loss and how that felt and this episode we're going to be putting out on the pregnancy loss awareness week in October so it's going to be very fitting for that but also it's so important you, you know you've shared the, the difficulties but it's so important that we celebrate and share the happy times too So thank you so much for sharing that you've had this lovely, happy ending. And I shall be looking with interest to see what you have and the excitement that comes around that. So thank thank you for joining me on the Fertility Podcast. It's been an utter pleasure to meet you and to chat to you. And thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: Oh, Thank you so much, Kate, for having me. I love chatting with you this morning.
1: Oh, that was lovely to chat to Tess. Um, and I hope that that's given you a bit of inspiration on things that you can do should you find yourself feeling just that little bit stuck when you're going through IVF treatments where you feel that you've kind of reached a bit of a, a brick wall, but you're absolutely sure and convinced that there is something not right and you want to find out more answers, however you might find them. It was really interesting hearing about pregmune. Um, and pregmune like I mentioned, isn't available currently in the UK. I have absolutely no no idea whether it will be available in the future, Um, but I did a bit of research and I found information about them and their website. And basically it appears that Pregmoon is able to identify the possible causes of unexplained infertility, miscarriages and IVF failures. It also identifies often overlooked immunological causes for reproductive failure and provides expert guidance for individualized treatment with your own doctor. So this is almost along the kind of lines of the treatment does seem to be becoming more individualized care now with with IVF treatment, which is absolutely the way it should be. They go on to say that PregMune determines immunological causes for infertility, miscarriages, complications, and IVF failures, while minimizing financial and emotional burden of repetitive, high-cost, low success fertility treatments and delivering more successful outcomes by determining appropriate immunological follow-up care. So interesting I mean if if it were to come to UK it would definitely be an IVF add-on but I guess we just have to watch this space and see whether this is something that we start seeing within the UK more and more but it was interesting to understand it um, interesting to hear about it from Tess's point of view and particularly for her in that she really feels that this was a game changer. And she's now pregnant and very happily expecting her baby in the next few weeks, so lovely news. Anyway, that's it for this week. We'll be back as usual in two weeks time with another fabulous episode, so we'll speak then.
0: Please do rate and review the podcast as it's brilliant for other people to know what you think. Even just hitting follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast really helps other people know it's worth a listen. Also follow Kate on her Insta, which is Your Fertility Nurse. And if you'd like to book in a consultation with Kate to understand more about your fertility and reproductive health, visit yourfertilityjourney.com.